Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Nealance and Tennis Park with the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm so fired up tonight because I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by not just one Hall of Famer and my co-host, Steve Flake, but also a second Hall of Famer. She won 17 Grand Slam titles, also won two Olympic gold medals. She's now teaching the GG method to players all over the country. Please welcome to the pod, Gigi Fernandez. Gigi, thank you so much for doing this. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Thanks again for, for spending time today and talking about your journey. Hi, David and Steve. Thanks for having me. Uh, super excited to share this hour with you guys. I want to start because, I mean, we just got through a, a pretty brutal, pretty brutal year. And kudos to everyone in the tennis industry for getting us through um, a successful tennis season. You know, you've played at the highest levels. You saw Steffi Graf accomplish the slam in 1988. I want to hear your thoughts on what Novak was was trying to accomplish and he he got to that final match. He got to that 28th match, fell a little bit short. Did you think in the modern era you would find someone so close to what Novak uh, accomplished in 2021? Uh, no, I didn't, especially with Roger and Rafa around. Um, and, you know, what he did, the year he had it was remarkable. I was one of the ones that did not think he was going to win the Grand Slam. Um, you know, I felt having tried that twice myself in doubles uh, with Natasha in 93, 94, like, I mean, to some extent, obviously it's doubles, so it's different, but when you're chasing history like that, the pressure is just unexplainable. And even, you know, when Serena, it, funny story, when Serena was going for the Grand Slam in uh, 2015, I believe, I ran into the Bryan brothers at the check-in credential area uh, at the US Open. We were getting our credentials at the same time. And I asked them if, she thought if they thought she would do it and they had also gone for the grand slam once and the three of us agreed that she wasn't going to do it like we, it's like it's just the pressure is just you know it's pressure regardless but this is just like another step it's something that's only been done you know twice in history so or three times um so it's uh, in the modern age at least only Steffi I mean of course Rod had two but um but it's just it's too much. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. You, you, you say this and, and the listeners have heard this a couple of times. Steve and I have discussed this um, numerous times. I picked actually one of the few things I got right in 2021. I picked Medvedev to win the U S open with a caveat. I said, if Novak got to the final on Sunday, I think he would do it because I felt like the buildup was so strong just to get to that last match. Yeah. Once you're there, you're there. There's nothing to do after it. You just got to play. Um, but as we saw, and Steve, you know, Steve did his analysis as well with me on it. The pressure is staring you right in the face. You've made it, and now you got one more. And yeah, there's nothing after. But wow, the 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 pressure is just enormous. Yeah, it's it's hard to describe, but uh, you know, and especially in this day and age of media, because you know, back in the '60s, there was not the attention, and you know, I think when Steffi won it there was some attention, but it wasn't like this, you know, it's sort of like, Oh, wow. She won the grand slam, you know, and it was like, not this like constant, like daily, monthly, yearly <laughs> reminder that you're chasing history and you're chasing something that, you know, that has been, been done by a handful of people. In, in the know, social media the planet, back so. then. You yeah. did it. You did it twice, which is remarkable. We're going to get, we're going to get into your career and uh, we'll, we'll start. I, I guess we'll start with, <laughs> with how we, uh, you know, how you started, you know, where'd you grow up? How did you get started in the game? And then we'll, we'll talk about some of your college and, and pro experiences. Yeah, so I grew up in Puerto Rico, um, you know, obviously in the 60s, uh, I was born in 64. So I really had 
no role models growing up. I'm the first female athlete in any sport, professional female athlete in any sport. Um, so growing up, I didn't have someone I could look up to and say, I want to be like her. I have some mentors and some uh, good coaches along the way and people who kind of helped me uh, get to a college scholarship. And the, the college scholarship was instrumental because it was the first time in my life when I went to college that I played tennis every day because I had to because I was uh, a scholarship athlete. So I had no choice. Um, and the the improvement that first year was monumental just from being on the court every day. And I made the finals of NCAAs, lost to a girl uh, named Beth Herr, who at the time was ranked 27th in the world in the WGA ranking. Um, but, you know, back then there was no, like, this is 1982, right, or 83. So there was no way to corroborate that information <laughs> because there was no internet, no cell phones, no, like, no faxes even. So, um, so I didn't really think much of it, except for six weeks later, she was playing Billie Jean King in the round of 16 at Wimbledon, and she was beating her, center court Wimbledon. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's that girl that I almost beat. It was seven, six, and a third. So that was the first time that I thought, wow, if if I could almost beat the girl that that is beating Billie Jean King, maybe I have a chance here. So I started playing satellites in the summer. Uh, and then I took the fall off. I was going to go. I was undecided between going back to school or or continuing my uh, turning pro or continuing my education and um, ended up turning pro after the fall because I was ranked 85 in the world in singles and top 40 in doubles. So that seemed like a good time to turn pro. You know, my dad helped make the decision because I was giving up my scholarship and um, education is very important in my family. So I um, deferred to him. He, you know, his, his rationale was that I could always get my education. I could always go back and get my education, but I, only at, you know, this in your 20s is really when you're able to play professional sport. So, and the rest is history. Was college something that you, uh, you didn't, did you think of going pro at all directly or college was something that you, you just didn't know the barometer, you didn't know the level of college, you went there one year, had an outstanding year, All-American in singles and doubles, like you said, reached the singles final. Did you have any idea what the level was? Um, I mean, you played at, at, at one of the top tennis programs in the country in Clemson. Yeah, no, I had no clue. I mean, I, like I keep saying, I was this Catholic girl from Puerto Rico, an island in the middle of the Caribbean. The only reason that I was discovered is because the Puerto Rico Tennis Association was part of the United States Tennis Association. So back then, the PRTA was one of the 17 sections of the USDA. Now it's the Caribbean Tennis Association. Um, but at that time, because the PRTA was one of the 17 sections and we had automatic entry internationals, two players from each category. So, and I was a very good junior in Puerto Rico. I was number one, always in my age group and two above. So at 12, I was one, number one in 12, 14s and 16s. Um, so, but that was with raw God-given talent because I rarely practiced and, um, you know, I didn't take it really seriously. I didn't know. I don't think I knew that there was a like I, there was no, we didn't have Wimbledon on TV or the US Open or like, there was no concept of the fact that I, there was this thing, professional tour that I could be a professional tennis player. There was just no concept of that in the seventies when I was a little girl. So, um, so then when I would go like uh, summer tournaments in the US, you know, I would do okay. I won, I think I won the 12 and under or made the finals of the 12 and under junior doubles and um, you know, I would win a couple of rounds in singles, but I was definitely not, you know, not dominating the junior U.S. circuit, right? Um, so, the, so I got offered the scholarship, and that, you know, changed my life because then I had to play tennis every day, and um, you know, and when I and the, the funny story is that the 
the, teach the teachers in Puerto Rico would not teach girls topspin because we weren't strong enough. So when board came around or, you know, it started, people started to hit topspin, it was like not girls because we weren't strong enough. So when I went to college, I had a slice forehand and a slice backhand. So that was my game. It was a flat slice, serve volley, chip and charge come in. So I had to develop my strokes, my topspin forehand and my, you know, one-handed backhand, which is my trademark uh, return. Um, I had to develop that while on tour. So definitely a different era. You cannot do that anymore. <laughs> no, and I think, I think that's just fascinating because if you're you know, as good as what you were in your one year in college, I mean, you'd be discovered earlier. I mean, your story would not, I don't think your story would happen today. There's too much information out there. There's too right. much tennis recruiting internationally wise. Um, right, right. Fascinating. Exactly. And there's social media, right? Yeah. <laughs> all over social media. I want to get into your pro career, and I know Steve's going to going to chime in here as well. I mean, just for the listeners, your your pro career was remarkable. You won seventeen Grand Slam doubles titles, two Olympic gold medals, uh, reached number one, <laughs> reached a world number one ranking in doubles. You won the career Grand Slam, I believe, two separate times in doubles. Yep, if I'm not mistaken. Um, singles singles is nothing to shy away from either. You reached uh, career high 17, 1991. You reached the semis at Wimbledon. Also reached quarterfinals of the U.S. Open two different times. Your love for doubles was obvious. Um, was it something that came natural to you? I, a lot of top juniors, even today, they don't play a lot of doubles-only events. They're really discovered for their singles, and then they develop that. Um, talk about your 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 love and just natural talent for doubles, I guess. Well, so I was just born with this innate ability to understand the geometry of the court and understand the angles and what was high percentage and what was not and where to be what to cover what not to cover so that was something that I had since I was a little girl like I think I mentioned I made the finals of the 12 and under junior doubles and uh, I, we were playing in the finals against I was playing with Susan Mascaren from Michigan who was the number one singles player in the country in the 12 and unders and then we were playing against Andrea Yeager who end up being the top two uh, player in the world and Beverly Bowes, who also ended up being a professional top 50 level player. So the three of them were at 12 and under the three of them were in the baseline, like doing this. Right. And I was at the net poaching and trying to hit overheads out of the air. And, you know, the funny story, Mrs. Mascaren told my mom while we were in this battle, she said, Oh, no, poor Gigi. She doesn't know how to play doubles. We're going to have to bring her to Michigan to teach her how. And my mom was like, yes, she doesn't know how to play 12 and under doubles, but <laughs> she knows how to play adult doubles. So, um, so yeah, so uh, I just always got it. You know, I always knew um, where to be, what to do, where to stand, you know, what, what just makes sense from a, from a sort of the, the science of doubles, the geometry of doubles, right? Which is a very important part of doubles. And, you know, one of my main kind of gripes with, with uh, our current teaching system is that, that we don't teach kids how to play doubles. Um, we don't, they, everybody plays singles and, uh, you know, go to college, maybe they play in a doubles a little bit or not, but most of our teaching professionals that people that then decide to become professionals after they're done with their collegiate career, they didn't really learn how to play doubles themselves. So they don't really know how to teach doubles and they um, often teach adults how to play like they play, which is a big mistake. Um, so, you know, one of the reasons that I got very involved with teaching adults how to play doubles is because I discovered this and I thought, okay, well, let me 
travel to conventions. I might go to the you know the two teaching organizations in this country, USPTA, PTR, who don't both do a, a, a great job teaching our our instructors. But I would go to a four day convention or a three day convention, and there was maybe one person talking about doubles for one hour in a forty hour you know convention. So I was like, what are we doing here? We're missing the point. So you know because as we know, all adults, what do they play? They all play doubles. I mean, eventually after in your forties, you all have to go to doubles because your body <laughs> makes it difficult to keep playing singles, right? So that's why I became so passionate about teaching adults and, and also teaching teachers how to properly teach doubles. Before we before we get into your the GG method and all that, and I know Steve, I'll ask Steve this question. Um, GG won 14 of her 17 Grand Slam titles with Natasha Zvereva. Zvereva. Um, you've seen a lot of tennis players over the history of your career. But, I mean, there's maybe, what, two or three people that are comparable you could say they're better you could say they're not as good I mean you got Martini you got Pam Shriver I mean Gigi right there I mean what was it about Natasha that you saw Steve that was such a good fit and I'll, I'll ask Gigi that same question uh, after Steve's well Natasha Natasha as Gigi knows was a great singles player too. finals of the French Open I I, I felt like they just blended Gigi and, and Natasha blended so well as a team and uh, Gigi, you, you, you'll confirm this for me, but I always felt like you were the captain of the team. You were the take charge person, and she really responded well to you. And uh, it, it, I, I felt like that just all the ingredients were there for a great double. She was a great returner. She had terrific ground strokes. Gigi was all over the net. So there was there were so many ways that uh, uh, different strengths that they brought to the court. And 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 then obviously there was a chemistry there was a, which all teams must have to succeed. And uh, do, do you feel, Gigi, though, that you, and not to, to heap praise upon yourself, but you made her a better doubles player with your knowledge of the game? It seemed to me she, over the years, she really elevated her doubles game. You know, I never, I've never had anybody ask me that or never thought about it in those terms. I just felt like we were too, you know, the old saying of the sum is better than the, the whole is better than some of the parts. Like I felt like when we came together, our strength and weaknesses really complemented each other. Like her, her, my, my weaknesses were her strengths and my, my strengths were her weaknesses. Um, so, and we also, you know, when you said about, I was the captain most of the time, but not all the time, because sometimes she would lead, you know, depending on the situation and the opponent and, and what was going on that given day. And I think that's the, the sign of a true great team is, the ability to have that back and forth because one person cannot always be on right in a team both people have to be on and sometimes she was having a better day than I was having and then she would take more of a kind of commanding role um, but it was that ability to to go back and forth and and the chemistry like you said is chemistry is everything in a double steam and um, and it's so funny because if we could figure out what makes chemistry we would uh, if we could bottle chemistry would be <laughs> it, I don't know we'd be I don't know what we would be, but um, but it, you, you just can't really explain it. Like you would have to have to get on the court with someone and see if you have it or you don't have it. And how did the partnership you, start, Gigi? Um, oh my God, this is a funny story. So um, so the nineteen we started playing in nineteen ninety two, but in the 1991 final, I was playing with Yana, with Yana Novotna and Natasha was playing with Larissa. And we um, were playing, you know, finals Wimbledon center court on Saturday after 
all that. And we, it was 9.20, meaning the women's final, the men's doubles final, and the women's final, so traditional schedule there. So it was late. It was 9.20 at night or 9.15 at night. And we were down 5-4 in a third. Uh, Yana and I were, and this was going to be the last game we played because the, you know, the referees were hovering and it had gone dark. So Yana had to hold her serve. It'd be 5 all, and we'd go back home and um, come back the next day, get to play on center court again after the men's final. But instead, she double faulted at a match point. So we lost the match. I was devastated. Um, as you can imagine, it was my first women's final. And when we were putting our rackets down, Yana says to me that we needed to talk. And I was like, okay, well, whenever, whatever we got to talk about, we can talk about later. And she's like, no, 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 we got to talk now. So I said, fine. So we get our trophies and we sit in the members enclosure and little balconies over, over courts three, four and five at Wimbledon. And it's pitch dark at this point. And she says to me, I don't want to play with you anymore. And I was like, what? Like we just won the French three weeks ago, made finals for Wimbledon. Well, unbeknownst to Natasha and I, Yana and Larissa, before the final started, Yana and Larissa had agreed to play together the rest of the year. So they both stopped playing with us and then started playing together. And then, and then Yana and I got together. I mean, Natasha and I then got together the following April. So now they've been playing for nine months and then we get together the following April. Um, and of course, you know, our, when we, we uh, played, Natasha and I won the first six Grand Slams that we played. So we played them in the French final. Of course, we played in the following year, we played them in the Wimbledon final. And um, that was the first time we actually played them in a Grand Slam final. And uh, of course, the dumb piece really wanted to be the dumper. So <laughs> a bit of a grudge match, as you can imagine. Um, but yeah, so we went on this roll, like six Grand Slams in a row, um, and then went to the US Open trying to win the Grand Slam. That would have been the seventh in a row. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. It's crazy to was... have immediate success like that. Like you didn't practice a lot with her beforehand or even like play like any like pre-tournaments or anything like that. No, like, our first tournament was the, uh, our first tournament was the uh, German Open, like the okay. week before the French. We did not win. I don't. I don't think we won that tournament. Um, and then we won the French, and then then we won every Eastbourne, Wimbledon. We won everything. Like six Grand Slams in a row, like ten tournaments. We were winning ten tournaments a year. Uh, I mean, once you get that aura of invincibility, then it was like a self fulfilling prophecy. Because even when we were down, the other teams would be like, "Oh, they're gonna come back," and then we would come back, and it was really a fun time. Actually, <laughs> think thinking back to it, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Gigi, you also had you also won majors with Novotna, and you you did win one with the other one with Martina, another with another with Robin White. So you were yeah. pretty you were pretty flexible, and you 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 probably could have won with three or four other partners had had the the partnerships been formed. So what 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 was it in you? You I, you talked about the geometry and this natural affinity you had for doubles, but. What made you so adaptable? And did you always prefer the ad court or did you like changing that around? Yeah. So first of all, the, the um, communication, I think, was key. You know, I, I had a lot of therapy in my life <laughs> trying to, feel, you know, I had a really bad temper, as you may or may not know, but um, the people listening. But I had to really do a lot of sports psychology to help figure out how to perform well under pressure and how to sort of curb my, my anger. So part of that you know, therapy, if you call, if you will, um, helped in keeping the partnership alive because partnerships are like a marriage. You know, there's, you know, ups and downs and backs and forths and gives and takes. And um, so I was very good at that. I was always very good about communicating with my partners about not only on the court, but off the court. Like if something happened on the court that we needed to discuss, I was very, always very open and, and communicative. So I think that 
was probably one of the reasons. And then as far as, um, you know, playing with other people, like two more things I want, and then I'll answer the question about if I like the outside. But one of my biggest regrets is when the, when 1996 ended, Natasha and I had decided we were going to stop playing um, for various reasons. I think we had seen yeah, a lot of pressure to maintain that. And at that point we'd won 12 grand songs together. So we decided we were going to stop playing. And then when, when the year ended, so I had to pick a partner, I was number one in the world. And my choices were Arancha, Sanchez Vicario and Martina Hingis. And I had played, I actually discovered Martina Hingis because um, I mean, and I put that in quotations because she was going to be amazing. But I, I, uh, in the Hamburg tournament um, that April, that 1996, April, um, Natasha, was hurt so I had to find a partner and I had remember seeing Martina Hingis play in the previous year's French Open junior doubles final you know it, the match was going on next to our warm-up court and we were watching her play Natasha and I and we're like oh my god look at that girl <laughs> she's gonna be good she was like 12 right so I was like I'm gonna ask that girl to play with me so I found her and I asked her if she'd play with me and she said yes and we won the tournament so her Martina's first WTA tour win was with me as a partner so then when it came when it came to the end of 96 to decide if I was going to play with Arancha or Martina I picked Arancha because she was more established she was already you know one of my biggest nemesis um she was top four or three in the world in, in doubles whereas Martina was an unknown right so uh so unfortunately both Arancha and I were outside players right so we both played the outside so one of us had to go to the do side and that partnership did not work so uh, after four months we stopped playing and then I asked Natasha to play with me again and then I, I said you finish out the year with me and at the end of the year I'll retire because I didn't want to I was already 34 and I didn't want to start with a new partner so she said okay I'll finish out the year and then uh, you know I'll go on my merry way and then she'll keep playing with whoever she was quite a bit younger so um, so then we won the French and we won Wimbledon we made the finals of the US Open so now we're I don't know, four or five Grand Slams away from tying Martina and Pam for most Grand Slams in history. So I asked her to play one more year, but she didn't want to. She wanted to, she wanted to play with Lindsay Davenport, who was a great player uh, in her own right. Great doubles player, but they were not a good team because there was no finisher. Like they were both setters. So, so that, you know, so I retired and she went to play with Lindsay. Um, and that was it. You know, she, unfortunately, she never won another Grand Slam. Um, so, so, so if I could have played with Hing, if I would have picked Hingis in '97, I probably would have played two or three more years, and probably would have won a couple more Grand Slams with her. But um, couple more. Times, how about how about five to ten more? But but yeah. let's, <laughs> let's let's gloss over what David alluded to earlier with the singles. That was a great Wimbledon for you in '94, and you get to the semis. And you lose a very tight two-set match to Martina, yep. who then the final to Conchita. Now, Conchita has had, of course, squeaked by Laurie McNeil in the semis, 10-8 in the third, another attacking play. Whoever think back, had you managed to squeak by Navratilova and get into the final against Conchita Martinez, that you actually could have been a Wimbledon singles champion? Have you ever reflected on that? Because I think she would have felt a lot of pressure from you coming in a lot and attacking in the same way that she had to dig deep into her resources to get by both yeah. Laurie and Martina Navratilova. Yeah, no, it would have been, it would have been a very interesting final because we were very, 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 very good friends at the time. Um, we were training together. We had the same coach. Um, 
sort of had the same coach. We, Eric Van Harpen was our coach at the time, was sort of helping me. Um, so I don't know. It would have, or he actually, I, I take that back. He was started helping me later, but um, it would it would have been an interesting final. Um, you know, I try not to look back. I, I do wish I had that one forehand volley back. I was uh, serving for the second set and I had a set point on my serve and I served, served to the outside and I had a high forehand volley and I was going to hit a cross court into the open court and I saw Martina take off. So I just last minute switched it to go down the line and it just clipped the tape. I mean, it hit the tape and oh, it could have gone over, but it didn't. So I think if I had won that set, I had a really good chance of winning a third because Martina was fairly old. At the, I think she was 38 or 39 and she was getting tired already. So, but you know, Coulda, shoulda, woulda, right? I don't think, I don't know. Steve that. asked the painful questions, Gigi. I asked the easy ones. Steve asked the most difficult and painful I don't know questions. How much my life, I don't know how much <laughs> my life would have changed. Maybe a little bit more, but I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Didn't happen, so we'll never know. But did you feel like doubles was such a high priority for you? Did you feel, did you feel satisfied, gratified, whatever the right word is, with your singles career? Do you think there was maybe more in you that, that was taken away by the fact yeah. that so much into doubles. So, so I, you know, sort of doubles happened, right? I never intended to be a doubles, have better results in doubles and singles. I never considered myself a doubles specialist, uh, like because I always played singles. I played singles on, until the last year on tour, um, and I was always striving to be top ten. You know, ninety four was a really good, uh, like ninety four was the year that I made the finals uh, of the U.S. Open, and uh, so I played ninety four, ninety five, and then. 96 I started to dwindle on my singles and in 97 I didn't play um but I think what what happened because I was always doing well in doubles I was always you know playing Friday Saturday Sunday in a tournament right and then I would have to travel Monday and then play Tuesday singles right so now I've spent the last three days playing doubles and traveling and I have to go play a singles match so the preparation for the singles wasn't always there right but also I feel like because I had such a weird or unusual junior career or junior upbringing that I didn't really have the basis of the ground strokes. Like I didn't have the solid ground strokes that you needed to hang in there and play good singles, you know? So that's why all my good results were always in fast surfaces because, you know, I was a traditional serve volley or chip and charge, always the aggressor. So I would have good results when I could come to the net. But and it's also the game was starting to transition, right? From Martina Navratilova, Yana Nevada, Lori Bagnio, my, myself, um, certain volley or some aggressive players, I could still win uh, to the next phase of, of tennis where certain volleyers just disappeared. Like there be, all became uh, power ground strokes and you, you couldn't really get to the vol to this, you know, you couldn't serve volley because you couldn't get close enough to the net for your first volley. So it's kind of, I was kind of right in that transition. So, so I think if, you know, sometimes I wish I'd come 10, 10 years earlier. Sometimes I wish I'd come 10 years later. Cause I think if I'd come 10 years earlier, I would have done better in singles. And if I had come 10 years later, I'd have 10 more million dollars in the bank account. <laughs> <laughs> A sensational career. So really sensational career that you had. I want to transition over into the coaching um, your coaching world now, because before you, you kind of did the GG method and maybe you incorporated some of the things that became the GG method. Um, 
where you're traveling across the country and teaching all uh, the great doubles expertise that you have, you coached at a high level. I mean, you coached the South Florida women's team early 2000s. You worked with Lisa Raymond and Sam Stozier. They were one of the best doubles teams in the world in 2005 and 2006. You also coached Renee Stubbs. I'm fascinated with this next, with, with to hear your answer on this. You know, when you played, you got that adrenaline rush and now you're coaching and you're coaching some of the best players in the world, Grand Slam winners, right? You still have that adrenaline rush. But then something stuck with you about, uh, you know, teaching these adults who really don't know anything about doubles. But even with all the success you're having now, do you miss that adrenaline rush of coaching in that box and at the highest of high levels? Uh, no, not at all. Um, you know, I feel like being a professional tennis player, it's a very, it's very unhealthy lifestyle, really. It's not, unhealthy is the wrong word. It's, um, so, so tennis players are very entitled, right? We all live this very entitled existence. Um, and when I, when I go back to, to, uh, to tennis and being a coach, in that environment, I would turn into that person that I didn't really like. Um, so, you know, I found as I grew up and matured that I didn't really like the person that I was when I was playing tennis. Um, so that's really the reason that I, I stopped coaching. One of the reasons I stopped uh, teaching other pros or teaching, you know, like Lisa Raymond, Sam Stilts and players like this was because of that. I, I didn't like traveling. I didn't, I quit tennis because I didn't want to travel. Uh, and then I was traveling and then I didn't find myself again, that same environment that I felt was toxic and um, just not, not how I wanted to live my life as an adult. So, um, so yeah. That's interesting. I mean, a lot less stress, a lot less stress at the 3.0 level, I'm sure, but like still that adrenaline's missing, but um, I appreciate your response. I, I totally get it and totally understand it. Steve, I know you wanted to. You wanted oh, to sorry. Yeah, sorry, to, uh, David. Uh, Gigi, you said you didn't like that person. You were you. Can you just elaborate? I thought that was an interesting comment. I mean, what were you? You were too cutthroat. You were too winning as everything. What What were you becoming that you didn't like? Uh, uh, yeah. So is that what what I, what I was becoming? Is what I was to because to succeed at the level that I succeeded, you have to something has to be different, right? About you, like I. I I was not the same as all the other girls that were playing on the court. Like there's something unique and different about us, um, you know, and this sort of win at all cost mentality, this ultra competitiveness, this, like, I have to kill you if, you know, if I have to, so I can win, not literally, but, um, but this sort of uber competitiveness that I still have, you know, I'm a very competitive person. Um, I still haven't been able to shake the competitiveness. I even oh, try to beat my kids at whatever we do and play. It's it's like a bad disease. Um, but but yeah, I just didn't. I just don't. I try. I'm constantly trying to not be the person that I was on the tennis court um, now in my life, and it's a little challenging now because I'm playing pickleball, which we'll get to. Um, when I play pickleball, I'm you know, I'm competing again, so I I have to try to not bring that Gigi Fernandez to the pickleball court and still be successful so it's been like an interesting project <laughs> yeah I, I i do want to end and again we can talk about pickleball and what you're doing now but um you know the gg method that's what's keeping you busy um for the past several years and currently keeping you very busy 
Talk a little bit about um, maybe the clinics and locations where you've been traveling uh, to and, and will be hopefully uh, as we go into 2022 yeah. and talk yeah. a little bit about some of the key concepts that are, are part of the, uh, what you call the Gigi method. Yeah. So, so the, the first thing is um, the reason that I created the Gigi method and going back to the fact that I, I briefly mentioned that I didn't like to travel, but I forgot to mention that the main reason is that I, I became a mom, you know, when I uh, had Carson and Madison in 2009, uh, they're twins and that, you know, traveling didn't fit my lifestyle anymore, right? I, I wanted to be a mom and I spent a lot of time and energy trying to become a mom. So, um, so I wanted to be there for them. So when I was offered the position of director of tennis at uh, Chelsea Piers in Connecticut in 2012, where I was living at the time, that worked. So, so that was 15 years post-retirement. And it was the first time in my life that I went to the other side of tennis, like the business side of tennis, uh, I became director of tennis. So what I what I perceived as director was um, some really bad instruction. <laughs> you know, it's like really bad instruction um, on our on our courts. So, so I created what and I call the GG method just to kind of help first the teachers at Chelsea, the staff that I had hired be better at teaching doubles, um, and then when I started traveling around the country, seeing that how bad it was everywhere else, then it's like okay, I need to. Uh, I need to share my knowledge because I have a lot of knowledge about doubles and, you know, because I was on the court teaching adults from 3.0 to 5.0 for five years before I did this, then I had that, I had the, had the knowledge to translate what I know about doubles into that level of play, right? So a 3.0 and a 5.0 obviously have very different skill levels and you have to teach to the, to the skill level. So I think that's one thing I've done really well is adapted what I know about doubles to to the skill level. So now I, um, I do, I started out in 2016 doing a lot of Matt's feel under traveling to clubs and yeah. doing one day clinics. Um, and now you've now hit 31, I have a goal to hit all 50 States and I'm 31 down or, uh, 39. I, how many I've, I've 21 to go, whatever that is, 29 down, 21 to go. Um, and so I'm constantly trying to find, states that I haven't been to to add those and then I started doing the three-day camps are very popular uh here in Tampa and I do them at Indian Wells I do them at um I spend the summers in Aspen doing camps there and um yeah so I I teach adults how to play doubles I love it I have some of the best friends I've made in the last 15 years I've been friends that I made through tennis um and you know what I think what was more interesting or the most interesting part to me about you know teaching adults was that I learned that tennis is a social game, that there is the social aspect of tennis that you probably well know about and everybody listening knows about, but it was never social to me. I, it was definitely not social. So that part was fun. You know, I would teach, you know, ladies how to play doubles and then we go out and have lunch and have fun. And so that was kind of interesting. Um, and now it's turned into a you know, very, very, very successful business. I fully, fully unexpected even to a certain degree more successful than my first, um, my first career. So it's been very rewarding. It, it's, so. been, it's been awesome to see. And you, you, you know, again, someone with your background to pass on your knowledge is so 
um, valuable and so rewarding for the people who receive it. Um, a little unsolicited advice from me. I know you're scheduled to come to Chicago in the beginning of February, where I'm from. You need to change, a, a, get a new travel agent or something like that, because coming to Chicago in the beginning of February is not the best time to come to Chicago. I didn't pick it. I'm going to a coach's convention, right? I didn't pick it. Hopefully it's not. That's snowing. right. That's right. But uh, <laughs> well, good luck. Um, uh, again, I want to thank you for, for sharing your time. You had a, a, some incredible experiences, both playing and coaching and now what you're doing with the GG method. Steve, anything final to add before we wrap up here? No, just a quick question, Gigi, that which, which doubles teams, who do you most enjoy watching play these days in, 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 in either men's or women's doubles? Uh, okay. I, I watch a lot of doubles. Uh, I, you know, I don't watch tennis. I have to be honest. Um, I'll watch, I watch the Grand Slams. I watch the semis and finals of a Grand Slam. Um, you know, when, when I used to watch and follow Lisa Raymond until she retired three or four years ago. Um, but now it, it's so hard to watch because it's not doubles. You know, they're not really playing doubles. They're not playing, they're, they're playing what I call singles on the doubles court. Um, the, the, the way that it's turned, um, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to see. It's kind of hard to watch. So I, I don't enjoy it. Um, you know, and I, and I just want to point this out for recreational players watching um, that's not how you play doubles, right? What you see on what you see in, on TV, where you see the, the pros at the one up one back formation bashing balls, that's not doubles. That's not what wins at the recreational game. So I, I, I feel like recreational tennis is where tennis was 30 years ago, right? 40 years ago, where certain volley still won. And here's an interesting stat for people listening. Um, of all the points that were playing in the 2015 Australian Open with, with the players in you know, all, all sorts of formations, so right? One up, one back, two up, two back. But all of those points that were played, the baseliner only hit a winner three out of 100 points, right? So the best ground strokes in the world hit three winners out of every 100 balls they hit or every 100 points they play, right? So the, uh, the other 97% of the points were 37% of the points were won by the net player and 60% of the points ended in an error. So if you're the type of player listening that likes to stay in the baseline, you're going to hit three out of 100 winners. So the mentality of those players, not how do I win the point, but how do I try to draw the error from my opponent or how do I set up my partner to put the ball away for me? So coming into the net uh, is still the way to go. Um, I don't know if, you know, there's about five or six years ago, there, I started to see a little change, you know, Bianca Andrescu started to come in and some players are starting to come in more like, um, of course, um, oh my God, I'm drawing a blank, but players, Players do come in now. They have more all-court games, um, so maybe that that will we will start. Ashley Barty, that's what I was trying to. Oh, was trying to come up. She comes in, um, so maybe we start. We'll start seeing a little more of transition into more players coming into the net more. But, um, but you know, it starts with the instructors, the instruct the people teaching the kids to how to volley. You know, so if you have a two-hour or hitting session don't spend an hour and 55 minutes on ground strokes and five minutes on surge right you have to spend a good 30 minutes on volleys so we will end it there Gigi fernandez thank you for uh thank you for spending time again happy holidays to you happy new year thank you um stay safe stay healthy and hopefully uh i get to see you hopefully in the beginning of february if all yeah. goes well in, in the world right now with this virus so all right thank you uh, thank you so much take care